thank you for, many of you have said, I hope you had a great vacation, and uh, I did. I was only off for one day. It was just last Sunday. (laughs) Uh, We were in Chattanooga for a family wedding, and then uh, was off on Sunday, and then went straight to General Assembly uh, the rest of the week, which um, that's not really vacation, uh, but it was a very good uh, General Assembly of our denomination, and uh, we are taking a, a few days this week, so uh, we appreciate your prayers for those of us that were at uh, General Assembly. Uh, the Presbyterian Church in America uh, is remaining committed to the Great Commission and to the Word of God, and uh, uh, I, I come away encouraged uh, uh, by what I see in terms of our future as a denomination. So we are going to read uh, a portion of the entire section that, uh, that we're going to look at today in John chapter 8. We're going to pick up with verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We're offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say, You will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you're offspring of Abraham, yet... You seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, will you um, enable us today? Enable us to focus upon you and upon your word. There are so many things that we have brought with us today that would pull our focus away. Things that we did last week, things that we'll do later today and this next week. But will you teach us? Will you open our hearts to you, our minds to you? Lord, even as we approach your table, will you enable us even more to prepare for this amazing meal before us? We pray this in Jesus' name precious name. Amen. 
Now, as we come to the Lord's table in a little while, there are at least a couple of issues in terms of, of who should partake here. And uh, we always, every time we have the Lord's Supper, which is uh, uh, once a month, we, before we partake, we do what, what is called fencing the table. Now, we don't usually use that term. I'm, I'm just explaining what, what we do when we, we stand here and we talk about who is invited to this table. And I want you to, th- when I explain what, what fencing is, I, I want you to understand that uh, while some might see uh, a fence as something very, very negative, and it can be, it, it can be to, to keep somebody away, but it can also be a positive thing in the sense that you might put a fence around something to protect others who might be hurt if they go beyond where that fence is. And that's how we look at it. We don't see that as a negative thing. We read, for instance, in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 29, it says, For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And so, uh, when we read that, as as the pastor of of this church, I, I wouldn't want somebody to do that Ignorantly, in other words, because they, they don't understand who should come and who shouldn't. And so we feel it's incumbent upon us to talk to you who might partake, to invite those who rightfully ought to partake, but then to warn, even as the Scripture does, those who aren't ready to partake, at least today. So what are the the two issues? Well, uh, when it it talks about discerning uh, the body, we we understand that to mean uh, knowing Christ. And uh, so this is a family table. It's for for children of the living God, those who are trusting in Christ alone for their eternal life. And for someone else to, to come to this table, well, you can picture it in your own family. Uh, when our children were growing up, there were many, many, many meals where there were others that were joining us for that meal around our table. But then there were some meals that were really just for our family. And it it might have even been odd for for someone else to to be there at at that point. And that's the case. This is a a family table. And it's one that was bought at the high price of the very life of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so he has every right to invite or to cause to withhold. So some of you may be wondering then, well, ooh, I don't, I don't want to eat and drink judgment on my, myself, and, and yet how do I really know if I'm a believer or not? And so that brings us to this passage where Jesus is talking to uh, the religious people of the day. And he is completely unwilling to let them rest in their religion because they weren't related to him and therefore they weren't related to the Father. A lot of them thought they were. And they're even going to argue it. But we will see what they were basing that upon. So we're going to look at, at how, how can I know I'm a Christian, according to what Jesus was saying to them. And then we're going to see some of the characteristics of, of unbelievers. And then we're going to see the, the, the wonderful, amazing benefits of being uh, in Christ. So... How do I know if I'm a Christian? Look at verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him. Did you catch that? Who had believed him? These were new believers. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So if, if you are a believer... If I'm a believer, I will abide in the Word. Now back to uh, verse 30, it said this, uh, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. So that's where uh, becoming a disciple begins. It, it starts with believing, but that's not where it ends. Once somebody comes to Christ, makes a commitment to Christ, that's not the end of being a disciple. It's just the, the very outset, the very beginning, and then it's a lifelong uh, process. And here is where he uh, begins to disciple them. Now, you've heard me use that term two ways. Uh, disciple can be a noun with it being a devoted follower of someone, in this case Christ. But I'm, I'm using it here when I say he's beginning to disciple them uh, as uh, a, a, a verb where basically, and this is the goal of what we do here at St. Andrews, and that is basically helping somebody to more and more become like Christ and, and walk through life growing in him. That's what discipling is. And everything we do here is to disciple people. We don't have a program. Everything we do is aiming at that. And so he starts out by talking about abiding in the word. Now, the, the, the word abide means to remain in. So, the Word being uh, uh, the Bible, His Word. Um, so, you don't just dip into it when it fits your agenda. 
you don't just use it when it's convenient to prove something that you want to prove. That's not abiding in the Word. It's, it's, it's diving in and letting it wash over you and form you. Now, we, we are going to go to the beach, and so you can ask me next week how my vacation was, uh, but, but when you go to the beach, there's all kinds of people on uh, the beach in terms of how committed they are to going into the ocean. You will see people there that are basically in their street clothes and they're, they're walking along and then when the water comes, they will, you know, kind of run away or maybe let it, you know, their toes get in and so on. And, and then there are those that, that will just, you know, they hit the sand and they run all the way and they dive in and they're in. They are all in. They're under, they're in the waves and so on. Jesus is saying, when it comes to the word, that's what I want you to do. I, I want you totally in here. And if you can picture this with the beach, because some of you may be saying, ooh, going in the water, you know, there's, there's critters in there, there's, you know, there's, there's riptides, there's, you know, some, some people, that's all I can think of is, is how if I go in too far, I, I, won't, I will never get out, you know. You know, some people act like that's the word. And, and basically Jesus is saying, look, I'm out here in it. This is my word. You totally commit. Let it wash over you. Don't worry about the riptides or anything else out here because this is where I am. And you're totally safe. It's like that parent out there saying, come on, you're okay. And that's what Jesus is saying with the word. Think about even our um, St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church Summer Reading Challenge. And so many of you, I'm, uh, I, it's so encouraging to hear how much that's meant to uh, many of you, the, the winter one and now the summer one. And, you know, here's the thing. You can even do that challenge and not be abiding in the Word. Now, it's a start, but if, if all you're doing is, is just uh, reading and checking it off, okay, I'm done for today, you know, and then you, you go on about everything. Well, it's a start. I'd rather you do that than nothing because before you know it, the Word's going to start washing over you. But, but instead of just kind of dipping your toe in that way, think about it. Meditate on it. Grapple with it. Wrestle with it. The hard things, talk about it with others. The great things, encourage one another with it. That's what it is to, to abide in the Word. It's going deeper. Now look at verse 39. This, this was their response. It says, they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, 
you'd be doing the works Abraham did. So here's what he's saying. The second way we can know if we're a Christian is I will obey the word. Abiding and obeying. That's where the application of the word comes in. And and here's the biblical principle. We're not saved by our obedience. We say that every week in some form or another. We're not saved by being good. It doesn't come first. You don't get good enough and then come to come to Christ. If you're going to do that, you'll never get to him because you won't be good enough. Instead, it's committing to him, trusting in him for your eternal life, and then the obedience follows that. And if this commitment was real, then there will be the obedience that will follow. And he's saying, look, you say you're committed to to Abraham, yeah, you're trying to kill me? You're trying to murder me? Those things don't fit together. Over in James it says, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. It's not real. He later says it's useless. If you don't show the fruit of the Spirit, you, you just simply aren't a Christian. Don't ever rely on, on walking an aisle or praying a prayer or, uh, or, or making some uh, vague commitment somewhere along the way. Don't rely on that. Don't do that. But instead, there will be fruit. There will be a desire for obedience. Not, you don't become perfect. Of course not. We will still sin but our sin's taken care of. And that's what the difference there. If you're living a disobedient life, even if you've made a profession of faith, then your life is denying your profession of faith. And that's what you've got to look at. It's not the same as a profession, but it will either prove the profession of faith was real or it will deny that it was ever real. Now the third way we can know if we're a Christian, verse 42, is I'll have a love for Christ. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you'd love me. For I came from God and I'm here. Now that sounds so simple. But a genuine love for Christ must be there if we're truly believers. Now again, Jesus wouldn't let them rest in their religion. He was far too full of grace to do that. And so we'll see the the characteristics of an unbeliever. Verse 34, basically a slavery to sin. Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Now we've got to look closely at the words here. This is an English translation from the Greek, but this is a good translation. That's why we use it. He doesn't say 
everyone who sins is a slave, but the verb form is a continual action. So, practices sin, whose life is characterized by sin, who does it over and over and over again and never looks back. That's what he's talking about. Here's the point. Even believers sin. But as we saw again and again when we went through the book of of Romans, if, if you're a believer, you're no longer a slave to sin. You don't have to sin. If you're a believer, you now have a choice. And it's not your nature. And so when a, when a, a believer sins, he's doing something contrary to his nature, not according to his nature. The unbeliever is a slave to sin, so he's, he's just doing what, what unbelievers do. What do you expect? We, we can't expect goodness, ultimate goodness, from unbelief. And so, so that's his, his point here, slavery to sin. And then there's, along with that, an inconsistency. Verse 37, I know that you're offspring of Abraham, Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father, and, and you do what you've heard from your father. And he's going to tell them who their father is. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to, to them, if you were Abraham's children. Now let me stop there a moment. He said earlier, I know you're an offspring of Abraham. But he's saying you're not one of Abraham's children. He's making a distinction here. So what he's saying is, I I know you've got Jewish blood running through your veins, but you don't have the faith of Abraham in your heart. And there's a big difference between those. And Jesus is basically saying that latter category is what counts. That's what what really matters. Then he says, uh, uh, if you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works Abraham did, but now you seek to kill me, a man who's told you the truth that I heard from God. That's not what Abraham did. You're doing the works your father did. They said to him, we're not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I'm here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. So that brings us to the next thing that the unbeliever would do, and that is relying on heritage rather than faith. They answered, Abraham is our father. Now, what do I mean by heritage? Uh, For most of us, it's not going to be claiming that we have Jewish blood. If somebody asks you your testimony, that's probably not what you're going to say. It might be something, however, like, well, I'm in America, and America is a a Christian country, or I live in the Bible Belt. We're all Christians here. You've heard it. 
I've heard it too. Let me tell you my experience. If you'd asked me when I was a, a young teenager if I was a Christian, I would have said, I guess so. Well, I probably would have said it more like this, uh, I guess so. <laughs> you know, that's a, <laughs> that, that would have been my response. And if you'd said, well, why do you, why do you say you're a Christian? I would have said, well, my parents are Christians. I go to church with them. So I guess I'm a Christian too. So what changed? Well, I went through a communicants class, and, and the, the church I was in wasn't even preaching the Bible, but they still had some of the forms, and they started asking people in my class, have you personally received Jesus as your Savior? That was the old question that was asked. And... I looked down the line, and I knew I was third or fourth in line. They're going to get to me. And I also knew I'd never done that before. Nobody would ever said you got to personally do it. My parents are Christians. I must be. And I did. Because God had already given me a new heart. I just didn't understand the need for it to be personal and not about my heritage. The Jews here were relying on their spiritual heritage, and Jesus just burst that bubble. And then unbelief also is not listening to the truth. Verse 43 uh, why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. Verse 47, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you're not of God. So while, while the, the believer should take joy in hearing the word, the unbeliever doesn't want to hear it. I don't want to hear that. And it's understandable. But it also clarifies the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. So if you find hearing the Word of God a burden on you, ask Him to clarify. Why, why is it a burden? Is it because I, I, I don't really know you? And then look at the reason, verse 44. Here's the reason. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. The reason is because they are children of the devil. So here again is Jesus not saying, look, as long as you believe something, it's okay. You know, that's the, that's the mantra today, isn't it? I, I don't really go to church, but I'm a spiritual person. Jesus 
says, look, let me make it real simple. You're a child of the living God or you're a child of the devil. I would never have the courage to say that if he hadn't said that. You know, we want, we want people to feel good about themselves. But how unkind is it to imply, yeah, you're okay as long as you're religious. And he wouldn't do that, not even for a moment. And the unbeliever also mischaracterizes Jesus. Verse 48, the Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. So basically, when I say they mischaracterize him, they just said two falsehoods about him. Jesus is a Samaritan. He wasn't a Samaritan. And he has a demon. He didn't have a demon. Don't we see this a lot today, though? Tune in. I mean, I'm not really telling you to do this, but to your favorite cable channel, I don't care what it is. I don't care which side it's on. You know what it's like? It's like if something is said enough times, then, well, maybe it's true. That seems to be how people try to prove their points, just by saying them over and over and over again. And and that's what's going on here. And they're mischaracterizing him. There's no truth to what, They said, but they're saying it out loud, and so it probably became a rumor. But they didn't stop there, and the unbeliever doesn't. Verse 58, there's a desire to eliminate him. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Now, I want to give them credit at this point. They got it. There wasn't misunderstanding here. Why do I say that? Well, they understood he was claiming to be God, and they disagreed with him. And if he's making that claim and he's not God, then the the right response is to stone him. They got it. They knew what. His claim was. And then they made their choice to eliminate him. Now, in this same passage, we see some of the benefits of being a Christian. First of all, verse 32, it's knowing the truth. And you will know the truth, he said. Now, there's been a lot of debate over what Jesus meant by this, but look at the chain of events. Basically, abiding makes you a disciple. As a disciple, you will know the truth, and when you know the truth, you are set free. That's the second benefit is being set free by the truth. So here's the clear implication. Without Christ, one is in bondage. With Christ, it doesn't mean we are free from sin, but it means we're free from sin's bondage. For that we should rejoice. Whatever sin that you feel the need to confess, to repent of, if you're in Christ Jesus, 
know that you can turn from it. He has freed you to where you don't have to go back there. You might. But if you do, it's not because you are in bondage. And he talks about true freedom. If the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. A slave can't set himself free. That's the nature. Only the Lord of the house can set the slave free. And Jesus saying, is saying, when it comes to spiritual bondage, I am the Lord of the house. And if you come to me, if you trust in me alone, then I'm going to set you free. You may choose to sin, but when you do, you're going against who you are in Christ. Here's, the, here's the, really the best part of that. It's not a temporary freedom. It's forever. Verse 51 speaks of eternal life. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. How very real that is for some of you here. We have three families in the church just this week that are grieving over those that they have lost. But in each of those cases, the person they lost was a believer. And so there is this. We grieve because we live in a fallen world and there is grief when we are separated. But at the very same time, there is that but. We are thankful that they really know what this is now. They are free indeed. Not only free from the bondage of sin, but free now when they go to be with the Lord, from even the temptation ever again to sin. It's forever freedom. So as we approach this table, there are really these two issues that I mentioned earlier. Are you a believer? And if the answer is no, then you shouldn't come to the table yet. I hope you will. And I'm glad you're here. But I tell you that only for your own protection. But you can trust in Christ alone for your eternal life. And then secondly, the issue is if you're a believer, are you seeking Christ? Do you desire to abide in His Word, to walk in obedience, and to love Him more deeply like He described here? And even if you fall short in those areas, this is the place for you. This table even if you said, you know what, I don't, I don't abide in the word like I should or I'm, I'm not obedient like I should be. And I, I don't love Christ with my whole heart. Come and eat and be nourished and strengthened. It's at this table that we celebrate the great benefits of being a believer.
And this table reminds us of the foreverness of that freedom in that this is just a small taste of what is to come. When we sit at the banquet table with Christ himself. And so as you partake today, know this. If you are trusting in Christ alone for your salvation, you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. And if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Let's bow together. Lord, thank you for what the Lord Jesus did. And thank you that he uh, completely refused to ever pull punches. He was far too loving to do that. To let those who were trusting in their own works die in their sin without first hearing of what real freedom and what real truth is. Thank you that he, his words are preserved and we, we read them today, we heard them today. Lord, help us to hear them in our hearts, to dwell on them, even as we partake together in Christ's name. Amen.